Did you know that parents rank financial literacy as the number one most difficult life skill to teach? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app for families. With Greenlight, you send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and keep an eye on your kids' spending with real-time notifications. Kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. And parents can rest easy knowing their kids are learning about money with guardrails in place. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. This podcast contains graphic details of a young girl's murder. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on, Amy should be 40. We were both told not to walk off with strangers. We were both told not to, uh, you know, answer the door, go off in cars with other people we don't know. So what was said to actually lure her into the van I, baffles me because we did know not to do that. We're hoping anyway that in the future there'll be some test with our DNA that we can do a test and, and create that. But right now we're not there. Okay, what's it really going to take to solve this? Investigators have had at least three tips a week, every week for the past 30 years. Do the math, that's a lot. They've used truth serum, even hypnotized at least one of the children who witnessed Amy with her abductor, Truth. Apparently, there's even a recording of it. They've applied forensic science and the latest technology and have the potential to read new mitochondrial DNA off of three hairs. And they've tossed a Hail Mary, pleading for leads from a population which is sadly aging and even losing its memory, while knowing at least a little of how Amy thought, that she would do anything for her mother, that she was smart, and that in 1989, the odds of any trouble in Bay Village were practically zero. One of the safest places you could be still is. The case attracted Phil Torsney, a rock star with the FBI, the guy who worked the Whitey Bulger case that got made into a movie. He still works the Mahalova case, even in retirement, though the bulk now falls on Special Agent Lisa Hack, who's currently with the FBI, who's had it for the past six years. It's been open for 30 years. It's continued to be work. There's been thousands of tips and thousands of interviews and hundreds of pieces of evidence. So it's still a very high priority in the Cleveland FBI office. A few years back, when it was 25 years since Amy's disappearance, the FBI launched a billboard campaign to prompt interest, partly with the hope that perhaps someone driving down the highway from another part of the country might see it. Believing the killer or someone who knew them might be passing through from outside the area. They wanted national attention, offering up to $25,000 for information that led to an arrest and conviction. Today, Hack knows what she's up against, that there's still no clear connection between Bay Village, where Amy lived, and Ashland County, where they found her. And even though investigators at the time did everything right, they were limited by the range of their technology. You know, DNA was not as advanced back in 1989, 1990, as it is today in the year 2019. And we still focus on the DNA and hopefully the uh, developments in that research of, of how to use that DNA to solve crimes. And we hope that that will help here. 30 years from now, we'll likely say the same about our technology today, that it could have used work. Well, we can also say that if we only had today's technology in 1989, we could have had Amy's killer. Hack says she's interviewed nearly 100 suspects and or people of interest. It's hard to explain to someone who's not necessarily with the FBI, but 
the case volume of the, the size of this case is over 70 volumes, uh, you know, of papers and documents. So there's been literally thousands of interviews, uh, probably hundreds just since I've been the case agent, and there's been six case agents over the 30 years. So, uh, you know, there's just an outstanding, uh, outstandingly large number of evidence and documents in this whole case. And that's still not enough. We still need information from the public. I mean, there's lots of people who, you know, up to today that have called and said, you know, I never wanted to say anything in the last 30 years, but I'm saying it now. So, um, again, it's an unsolved case. You know, we want justice for Amy and Amy's family. And between the Bay Village Police Department and the prosecutor's office and the FBI, we hope to be able to solve that. And if it takes information from the public, we still want people to call. Uh, the case hasn't gone away and we haven't stopped working it. By the way, we asked about what Mark Mahalovic mentioned earlier. It's being the longest open FBI case in history. Hack mentioned Jimmy Hoffa, who went missing in 1975. So it isn't. Well, it does very much remain on their front burner. We won't give up until it's solved. Perhaps through a deathbed confession? As crime writer James Renner will tell you, it isn't that suspects have been ruled out. Rather, there just isn't enough evidence to move forward with any of them. And if you believe one more theory he has, it's that Amy's killer killed only one person. Her. I, I suspect this was a one-off thing. And, um, either, and he found some way to, to make it not happen again. You don't think this is serial behavior? Uh, I think he's a serial abuser. I think he's crossed the line with kids a number of times, but I don't think he's killed anybody else. James envisions a person who thought things through only to a point. First, plotting to get a girl in his grasp and a place where he could blend in. He's going to have that look of upper middle class, white male, um, and he knows that he can fit in, so nobody's going to, he's not going to stick out, nobody's going to notice him, but also nobody's going to recognize him. So that tells you that this guy is familiar with Bay Village but does not live there and uh, is comfortable around kids enough to know that he's going to be able to convince her to go with him in the moment. But then in that moment, he doesn't entirely know what to do. He's never gotten that far. At first, things are fine. He and Amy go to a place where she's still comfortable enough to make a phone call. Her mother, Margaret, doesn't detect anything unusual in her voice. Then things go south. Amy had to realize it was all a setup and panics along with her abductor perhaps explaining how a blunt object came into contact with her head. The fallout from a very sick man who called underage girls, yet never fulfills his fantasy with one. And all he needed was one, you know? So this was gonna go on until he either convinced a girl to meet him or he got caught, you know? And uh, uh, eventually he rang Amy Mihalovic's phone and everything fit. After the abduction? The phone calls stop. Girls come forward to tell investigators about their calls, but as we learned from Chief Spetzel, they would have been impossible to trace. Our producer, Phil Trexler, spoke with the woman who said she was given a recorder from the FBI to keep by her phone in the event the man ever called back. He didn't. The device collected dust. The FBI never came back for it. Amy's story will be televised all over the country one more time this weekend on a program called Crime Stoppers, and police are bracing for another flood of tips. 
That's my good friend and colleague Tom Barris, standing in snow and reporting on the Mahalovic case on Thanksgiving in 1989. In the background, white ribbons on trees in honor of Amy. Tom later led the news when her body was discovered. Channel 3 News crews were first on the scene in Ashland County. We have several reports from Ashland County and from Bay Village. We begin with Tom Barris live in Ashland County. Tom. Jill, Amy Mahalovic was missing for 104 days. She became a Greater Cleveland Crusade and a national story. Police and the FBI checked out about 4,000 leads, but it all came to a heartbreaking end about a quarter of a mile down this quiet country road. And when Phil Torsney joined the case in 2013, Tom was back on it again. Now a renewed effort is on to find Amy Mahalovic's killer. Here's Tom today. This was a story that just kind of, uh, you know, grabbed Greater Cleveland, uh, you know, by the, by the lapels, by the throat, just grabbed, grabbed the in- entire region's attention. You heard Special Agent Hack address how six FBI agents handled the case. It's similar in the media where the same sad torch has also been passed down. Tom's story is now mine, someone who was just a kid when he had it. And I've always valued his insight. And it it just consumed the media here for weeks and weeks and weeks. You know, every day there'd be a push to, to advance the story, to move the story, to find a new development. And many days there was no there there. There was no new development, but, you know, you were obliged to find some new twist, some new angle, somebody new to interview, you know, to keep the story, uh, to keep the story alive. And the media wasn't alone in wanting to keep it that way. Again, the police wanted to get as much coverage as possible, you know, keep the story on the front page, keep the face of a possible suspect uh, embedded in people's, uh, in people's mind. Amy's infamous picture always a part of it. Cute little girl with that little ponytail off to the side and, you know, freckles and a cute smile on her face. I'm sure it was a class picture uh, that uh, could be anybody's daughter, your next-door neighbor's daughter. It wasn't a secret then or now that if a solid lead doesn't come in within the first 48 hours after a person goes missing, the odds of solving that crime go down by a lot. And if those missing persons are kids, the odds of death are very high after just 24 hours. That's what recently made the miracle in Cleveland what it was, a miracle in 2013, a case you may remember. Three girls abducted a decade earlier, held captive in a madman's basement, restrained, beaten, sexually assaulted, starved, and psychologically abused, who eventually escaped to freedom. Help me, I'm Amanda Berry. I'm the police. Okay, and what's going on there? I've been kidnapped, and I've been missing for 10 years, and I'm, I'm here, I'm free now. The odds so stacked against them, that was a happy ending. That was a miracle. Nobody wanted to talk about the probable. Uh, everybody wanted to, you know, as long as, 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 as long as there's uncertainty, there's hope. But then in Amy's case, there was a body. More pressure to keep the story fresh without new elements. I forget what the milestone was, but at some point... You know, I came to the sense that, okay, it's been a decade, it's been 20 years, and uh, nobody seems to be able to provide, and I don't know what the reward got up to, but I'm sure it got to be a significant, you know, amount of uh, incentive where uh, people motivated by, you know, financial, if if somebody knew something, well, again, obviously, there have been 
thousands, thousands, I don't know the exact number, but there's been uh, uh, there's an overwhelming amount of uh, tips and leads and uh, you know, trails to pursue. Uh, but, but at some point, I, I think I just resigned myself to, you know, I, I don't think it's going to happen unless there's one of these DNA roundabout connected to a third cousin, connected to, connected to somebody who was in the area at that time. I, I'm, um, you know, never say never, but I, I highly doubt that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's ever going to be solved. If it ain't happened by now, it ain't going to happen, I don't think. That's Tom's investigative side. The father's side will always hold compassion. Sad, understandably very sad all the way around. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 I, I can't imagine what it'd be like to be in that circumstance to get up every day and, you know, have that be part of your, your reality that uh, one of your children died under terrible circumstances and, and you know, no one's going to be held accountable for it. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Two interesting things on Tom. First, the street outside our building is named after him. Legendary. Second, remember when I mentioned the guy who confessed in church out loud to killing Amy Mahalovic? It happened on a Sunday at a parish called St. Angela's in Fairview Park, two townships over from Bay Village. Tom was in church that day. By now, though, it's been more than a decade since Amy's death. My wife and I were attending, I believe it was the 9.30 Mass on a day in uh, October, I believe, which ironically kind of close around the, you know, the time of uh, uh, Amy's disappearance. And in, uh, in the middle of the service around communion time, there's a voice that just rings throughout the church. I am Satan. You know me. I killed Amy Mahalovic. Everybody is either uh, surprised, uh, aghast, afraid, you know, looking around. It turns out that the fellow was in the middle of the church and had just bellowed this out so that everybody heard it. And you know, some, some parents were, uh, you know, uh, uh, protecting their kids and some guys were looking for him to figure out if there was something that they could do to help uh, apprehend him. It turned out that there were, I believe, uh, uh, I believe a, a, a Fairview Park policeman and uh, a couple of uh, like auxiliary policemen who were who were in church at the same time. So, I mean, he was apprehended pretty quickly and 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 hustled out before, almost before people had time to try to process all this. What 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 the heck had had just happened, you know? Tom called the station right away, thinking he had a lead. That inside scoop, though, short-lived. I think he was ruled out within a day. I mean, they, wh wh where was he on the day that, uh, uh, the, that the disappearance happened? And I believe that he actually may have been institutionalized. Removed as a suspect. So by now, is it time to toss in the towel? With 30 years and nothing to show? Writer James Renner believes we may have never been closer to answers. In the last year, technology has caught up to where they now have tests that they can do 
that will get not just mitochondrial DNA from these hairs, but also possibly nuclear DNA, the, the full DNA sample, the profile, everything we're looking for. They've been able to do this in a couple other cases just in the last year. So I think the technology's there. Hope. This September, an article in the New York Times was about exactly that, about a game changer when it comes to crime and surveillance. Apparently, a paleogeneticist at the University of Southern California has developed a way to extract sufficient DNA from a hair without its root, something once believed to be impossible. The article went on to say the scientist has quietly cooperated with law enforcement, and we don't know if he's reached bay. According to the Times, he doesn't talk about his investigations. While Amy's killer may be running out of time, along with law enforcement, when it comes to some of the ethical and legal questions over obtaining a person's DNA, we're still in the wild, wild west of that. The longer we wait, the better chance is that whoever did this will, will die. They're getting old, you know, and, and they'll never spend uh, a day in, in prison. So that's the you have to weigh that right like do we wait for another 10 years so we know for sure or do we roll the dice now and hopefully get enough to figure out who it was so so we can get some justice in episode one i mentioned how amy's memorial looks like a gravestone it's across the street from the plaza where she was abducted not far from the lake her face from the class photo etched on the surface a few years back, it began to fade, the result of cold winters and hot summers. And when a picture surfaced on social media of just how worn it was, people wanted to help. Eventually, a local businessman who specialized in memorials stepped up and fixed it for free. Who knows how many future generations would do the same as they grow distant from her story. I also mentioned earlier how Mark Mahalovic, Amy's father, had been a rock, still is far more than most of us could ever be under those circumstances. You always got to keep the, the candle lit. You got to keep going. You got to keep thinking that it's going to be solved. As he draws strength from others. Without the uh, uh, involvement of, of the people surrounding me, the media and the police, I probably would have given up hope. But, but uh, to go backwards, they've never given up hope because it's, it's never been a closed case. Towards the end of our interview, he mentions that he does not celebrate Amy's birthday anymore. When December 11th rolls around, he simply pauses to reflect on how old she'd be, then moves on. He's also never been to his daughter's grave, which is in Wisconsin, near Milwaukee, where he and Margaret were once high school sweethearts, where they planned to be buried. Instead, Margaret now rests alongside the person she loved most in the plot she once meant to share with her husband, mother and daughter asleep. While in Ashland County, fall has returned. With green grass and golden fields, winds still warm, clouds so vivid against a blue sky, they almost look painted. Nothing like the grays of file footage on the day that Amy was found. And in that spot where the cameras could not go that day, the spot where that jogger found Amy's body, we notice a single bouquet of wildflowers on a recent visit, placed by coincidence. Bright pinks and purples, like the colors of a little girl's bow. You could almost picture someone coming up to you on a horse out here, 
There's so much room to breathe. Perhaps that rider is nearing middle age. Hair sandy brown pulled back in a ponytail. Is she a mother? If you've ever lost a friend growing up and wondered what their life might look like, this image is a good one. Grown, in control, a grin. Only we'll never know if that could have been Amy's life. Will we? Amy Should Be 40 is a five-part podcast and collaboration between 3 News in Cleveland and Vault Studios. I'm Andrew Horansky, senior reporter at 3 News in Cleveland, working with Phil Trexler and James Renner, who's been pulling double duty as our fact checker. Our executive producer is Will Johnson. Our digital director is Denise Pulverine. Special thanks to Susan Moses, Adam Ostro, Adam Miller, and John Adkins, and to our parent company, Tegna. I also want to thank Trisha Stuckey-Gardner. You were right. And last but certainly not least, my wife, personal podcast connoisseur and eternal editor, Kristen. And to you, our listeners, thank you. If you like what you hear, do not forget to give us a good review. And if you have a tip in the case, call the FBI or Bay Village Police. I can tell you they do want to hear from you.